This is Good Faith Effort with Ari Lam. And here's your host, Rabbi Dr. Ari Lam. Hello, hello, and welcome to Good Faith Effort, the world's most dangerous Bible podcast, the podcast where we show you how the values and ideas of the Bible can illuminate the most important conversations in society from politics to pop culture and beyond. And today, Good Faith Fam, I'm beyond thrilled to welcome on the host of literally one of the most popular podcasts, like on all of Apple Podcasts, the host of the phenomenal podcast, The Bible Recap. She's Tara Lee Cobble, and we're going to talk about learning, teaching, and of course, the Bible. But first, let's uh, let's set this whole thing up. Okay, so I know we're in the middle of discussing the book of Leviticus, but just for today, I'm going to quickly back up to the book of Exodus, especially because since I'm Jewish, I'll be celebrating Passover next week, and the story of the Exodus is an important part of that. So for those of you uh, uh, Exodus heads out there, so you know a really important, <laughs> you know a really important symbol of the story is the unleavened bread that the Israelites take on their way out of Egypt with them, and it's so important, in fact, that God creates an entire holiday around it, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Exodus twelve. But precisely because it's so important, it's worth pausing a minute to ask, what's the significance of the unleavened bread? What does it symbolize? And the interesting thing is that for the Bible, it's actually pretty ambiguous. On the one hand, unleavened bread is a symbol of slavery, of oppression. You take a look at Exodus 12, and it's pretty clear to see. The Israelites make it because it's literally all they can do. Their time isn't their own. They're not free people. And so they have to make do with what they can. And, I mean, it's not for nothing that the book of Deuteronomy calls it the bread of affliction. And in one sense, then, the Bible's Feast of Unleavened Bread is to remind the Israelites that when good things one day happen to them, they shouldn't forget their lowly origins, their utter dependence on God. And yet, on the other hand, unleavened bread is also a symbol of freedom. So in Deuteronomy 16, Moses uses the bread as his central metaphor for narrating the liberation of the Israelites. And elsewhere in the Bible, like even not in the context of the Exodus, unleavened bread is usually something you serve as a treat, right? So think Abraham making a banquet for his guests in Genesis 19. So which is it? Is unleavened bread a symbol of slavery or is it a symbol of freedom? Or maybe more profoundly, what transforms it from a symbol of slavery into a symbol of freedom? And I think you can discover the answer when you look at the very first time that Moses tells the Israelites about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The first thing he tells the Israelites, in fact, the very first word that he says, Exodus 13, in biblical Hebrew, it's zachor, remember. Don't just eat the unleavened bread, learn from it. And just a verse or two later, Moses repeats the idea by telling the Israelites that it's not enough just to eat unleavened bread. You have to tell your children about it. You have to explain to them why. The Bible's reminding us here of the difference between history and memory. History tells us about others, about what happened to other people long ago. Memory is about me. It's the story of how I came to be and how those who came before formed me and how in turn I will shape those who come after, which means that ultimately memory is not about others and it's not just about me, it's about us. So yes, from the perspective of history, unleavened bread is the food eaten by slaves by people who lived and toiled in Egypt many, many centuries ago. And there's nothing that can change that. And as such, it's the ultimate metaphor for slavery. I mean, it's unchangeable. But from the perspective of memory, unleavened bread is the food that those very same people use to speak to us today, across the generations, about the values of faith, kindness, and justice. It's how for all their power, 
The pharaohs of Egypt are dust in the wind today, while the faith and teachings of their slaves form the basis for civilization and morality until this very day. And in that sense, this bread, which Deuteronomy calls the bread of affliction, can also be the ultimate symbol of freedom. And because true freedom means not riches, wealth, power, it means teaching. The belief that the past is not just history, but memory, that it's relevant and in fact crucial for us today. Real freedom is teaching. And so to talk about all this, I brought on one of the most uh, effective teachers on the entire planet of Earth. She's the host of the Bible Recap Podcast. She's the incredible Tara Lee Cobble. Tara, thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to be here. I was just taking notes while you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> you're a good rabbi because you're, you know, I'm I'm just sitting here typing away, taking notes. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my God. Well, so first of all, welcome. So excited that you're here. You are the host of the Bible Recap Podcast, which, as I said, it's one of the most popular, it's certainly one of the most popular religion podcasts on all of iTunes. It's also one of the most popular podcasts, just period. So before we get into the Bible and all the good stuff that you and I both obviously want to talk about. How did this podcast get started? Like you've done a gajillion episodes. Like how did this get started? (laughs) Um, It got started because I I grew up in a Christian home. I became a Christian around the age of four. And my family owned a Christian bookstore. Selling Bibles was my first job. And I just was, my life was saturated in scripture, but I was in full-time ministry before I'd ever read through the whole Bible. And that was a a point of shame for me because I I knew that I should have, you know, this book that I'm staking my life on um, and telling other people they should love, probably probably should find out what it says. Um, And it was was hard. The first time I tried, I didn't understand it. But a friend helped me through, a pastor friend who'd read through several times, helped answer my questions along the way. And I fell in love with it. I just, instead of loving the Bible because it was true, I loved the Bible because it was beautiful. And I wanted other people to see the beauty of that. And I knew to do that, we have to understand it. And so I am just a lay person. I don't have any letters after my name. I have never been to seminary, but I've just made myself a student of the word and try to devour as much as I can about the historical context and um, the original language that I don't speak. And um, just (laughs) try to learn as much secondhand as a lay person can and translate that into common language. So I think that's sort of the the brief summary of how we got started. So I will tell you, like when I explain your podcast to friends of mine, it's hard to do it without it sounding like super Jewish. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> tell me more. Tell me more. I'm fascinated. So just for, for listeners, for context, I'm sure many of our listeners are already li- fans of your podcast, but just for context. So it's just like each episode is like six to eight minutes. So you'll read like a chapter or two or three of the Bible, you'll kind of summarize what's happening. You'll explain, you know, how it brings you joy, where the joy is, which is, I love how you finish up each episode. It's so beautiful. And it's just a daily learning. It's really just a daily learning. So within the Jewish community, you know, I grew up in the Orthodox Jewish community, uh, but it's, and it's originated there, but it's spread far beyond. There's this practice called the Dafyomi, which means you study a page of the Talmud every single day. And if you do that over the course of seven years, you can finish the entire Talmud. And everybody reads on the same schedule across the world. So the last time that the whole thing finished, the celebration for finishing was literally held at MetLife Stadium. 100,000 people were there, all finishing. It was like, it's the craziest, most awesome thing. And that was just one celebration. There there are ones across the globe. It's so cool. And when I explain to people kind of who don't have a daily learning practice how important daily learning is, People usually look at me like I have, 
you know, four eyes or 10 hands, because like, who has the time even, right? And what you've done is you've created this daily practice, like you're studying it every single day. It's so diligent and it's so consistent. And so my question, so whenever I explain to friends of mine, like, what's the Bible recap? I'll be like, it's Dafyomi, but like every day is the Bible, right? (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, I should add another element of it is in sort of the Dafyomi community and the Jewish community in general, the vast, 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 vast majority of people who are studying on a high level. Also, like you said, they don't have letters after their name or letters before their name. They're not rabbis. They're not They're not anything official. I happen to be a rabbi, but I just happen to be one, right? Like most people are just studying because studying is important. So we all study. We've all been to school. We've all had that experience. But what is different about doing it every single day? And in particular, how is studying the Bible every single day, making it regular like that? How has that affected how you understand it, how you engage with it, and how it shows up in your life? First of all, I love hearing you talk about the Jewish practices. I, I don't know if you know or not. Big fan, big fan. Hey. Like, uh, yeah, I've I've been to Israel seventeen times. Um, I, <laughs> I love. So I love. I'm I'm still taking notes. If you hear me typing, <laughs> it's, I'm not sending texts. I'm taking notes on what you're saying. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. The daily practice. You know, first of all, I think we're under the illusion that we don't have time for it. But to read the Bible in a year takes about twelve minutes a day. And like you said, my recap is like six to eight minutes. If you put me on 2x, that's three to four minutes. And everybody has time for that. Even the busiest mom can hit play on an audio Bible while she's in the shower or while she's cooking breakfast or, or whatever. To The idea that we don't have time is a myth. And I, I think everybody can have time for it. And for the bulk of human history, the way that most people consume scripture was auditory because you know the printing press didn't exist. A lot of people couldn't read. And so uh, a lot of the ways that people have consumed the Bible over the years has been through hearing it read to them. So I don't have a problem with somebody listening audio. Now, the way that I think that that is super important, why and how that's changed my life, it's interesting that you started off talking about bread. Jesus talks about the daily bread, and we eat food every day uh, for our physical bodies. And this is the way that we spiritually feed ourselves every day. And once you start to develop the appetite for that, it feels really weird when you don't have it. It feels really off when you don't have that because it's sort of set, for me, I like to do it in the morning, first thing, um, and it sets the tone for my day. It tells me what to think about. I can later recount what I have learned or studied that morning and meditate on that. And so I think it really just, it informs the way my thought processes go throughout the rest of the day. And I love watching how scripture has shaped my heart and my life and my thoughts, but it starts with my thoughts. That's what changes how I feel, how I act, how I speak is changing my thoughts. And scripture does that. That's amazing. And actually, I want to jump in right there. I believe on your podcast, you guys just finished up Judges, uh, the book of Judges. Mm -hmm. So Judges is where I want to start because Judges feels to me like the one that just gets missed like judges and chronicles are the ones that always get the short end of this uh, of the stick because just to go through pentateuch moses like exodus it's all the cinematic stuff like even leviticus like it's sandwiched in there between a bunch of good stories so you get through it because you just want to you want to complete the set right right joshua it's the sequel everyone always liked lion king too right then there's (laughs) samuel you know the saul drama there's king david the book of kings like you want to just see what happens in the rest of game of thrones you know then there's 
Ezra and Nehemiah. It's like the Bible part two, like the retempling, right? And then Psalms, liturgy, Proverbs is all the wisdom, right? Everybody loves that stuff. Song of songs, love songs. Everybody loves that. Daniel, it's got like all of the wild imagery. It's hard to look away. And then there's the prophets, right? That's like uh, for all of history, like we've just organized our society around prophetic literature. The one book that just seems to get no love is the book of Judges and then the book of Chronicles because the book of Chronicles is like the book of Kings, but just you have to read it again, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. But leaving Chronicles aside for a moment now, just because you just finished Judges, who's your favorite character in the book of Judges who just doesn't get the airtime that they probably deserve? Well, I mean, you know, the the good judge is Deborah. It's the woman. Yeah, let's do it. she just, you know, like... People love to talk about, I mean, they love Samson. Everybody's asking, where does your strength come from, Samson? But obviously, if he's muscular, it's coming from his muscles. And so the reason I think he might not have been muscular is because they're asking where his strength comes from. So I think he might have been a little skinny guy. And they were shocked at where his, they were like, tell us where your strength comes from. If you're big and muscly, it's from your muscles. But if you're not, you know, like, obviously. I think in general, in a bloody book like this, there's, I think that's one of the reasons we like to skip over it is because it's so bloody. But I think, you know, when we talk about Deborah, we see this, this woman who she tells a prophecy about a woman being the the one who wins the, the victory in the end. And for a while you think maybe it's her and then it's not, it's Yael. And so it's like, oh gosh, like this is not what I expected at all. Um, and I just kind of love, I think she's full of surprises. I love that that she is the honorable judge. And of course, I think it's noteworthy that she's a woman. I love it. Because a lot of times when I talk to Christians about scripture, they're like, man, the Bible's treatment of women. And I'm like, listen, there are some surprises in there that, that you aren't expecting. And so keep your eyes peeled because they're in there. And I think Deborah's one of them. I, I also, I love that you mentioned Yael. That's like another one that just doesn't get the, I like, I once, like pretty recently, actually, I pitched a friend of mine in Hollywood. I pitched the Yael story. I'm like, it's basically Beauty and the Beast, but if Belle murdered Gaston, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's awesome. Okay, so let's let's pan out to the whole Bible. Most underrated character. Who's your favorite that you're like? I know it's hard to pick one. Oh, no, I know. I have him. I have him. I know who it is. Apollos. Ooh. You know, New Testament guy. Um and um, I love Apollos. He's zealous for the Word of God. He loves to talk about what he learns, but he's also teachable. So he's a student and, and a teacher. He loves to learn. When Aquila and Priscilla come to him and they're like, hey, hey, you're, you're missing a few points here. Do you want to learn? He's like, yes, teach me more. But he's just like, he's really a student of the Word. I know there are varying beliefs on who wrote the book of Hebrews. I tend to think it was Apollos. Oh, so interesting. Yeah, I know a lot of people think Paul because of some of the language overlap. Other people think it couldn't have been Paul. Again, I'm just a novice over here, but I think it could have been Apollos. He seems to have hung out in the Pauline camp quite a bit and maybe have adopted some of his language. And that's like your story too, just someone who loves to learn, who really loves, that's amazing. So I want to talk kind of about the medium, which is you hear a lot of bemoaning sort of like the decline of brick and mortar houses of worship, not just in Judaism or in Christianity, but across the board, certainly in America. But at the same time, at least someone like me, I kind of look around on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, like you see faith and excitement about it just flourishing. And another place that you see it is in the world of new media and particularly in podcasting. And there's a super robust Jewish podcast scene, there's a super robust like spirituality podcast scene, 
I know in the Christian world, there's also that. And there's also like a super robust kind of like Bible podcasting world in general with Christians, Jews, lots of different folks doing it from their own perspective and sense of authenticity. What kind of attracted you to this medium? And how did you figure out the right way to make it work in a way that that elevates people? You know, I'll be honest, it was like a the idea for the Bible recap came to me kind of fully formed, like the title, the format, the everything. I did not put a lot of thought into it. <laughs> it's just kind of crazy. And um, I can show this to you, but I, I your listeners won't be able to see it. But I want to show you um, the box where I started recording. We talked earlier about the studios that we're in. And I started, my first studio was an Amazon box stuffed with a sheepskin rug. Awesome. This was how prepared I was <laughs> for what I was about to be doing. Here is a picture of this. Can you see? That? Oh my God. For the listeners out there, like it's just like a ramshackle makeshift hut. <laughs> Truly. It's just, it's just an Amazon box with a sheepskin rug. And um, and I would just stick my head into it and record. And to me, the reason that, that that medium was suitable for this was because it didn't require a lot of outside help. I did have to to bring in a friend of mine, Allison Congdon, who edited and still edits every single episode. And we were both kind of just finding our way. She was just like, I'll figure it out. And I was like, I'll figure it out. And it just seemed like the kind of thing we could do on our own. And so it was a quick and easy medium that there weren't a lot of gatekeepers for. Gatekeeping. That's so interesting. Meaning that you found, you found that sort of podcasting was you could just put something out there and people could decide if they want to listen to it. Exactly. The audience is the, is the gatekeeper. And so, you know, if I wanted to publish a book about something, I would have to probably find an agent and get a publisher and it would take two years for the thing to come out. And this could be, not only did it have fewer gatekeepers, but it was more immediate. So, I mean, I started recording in December and we started loading episodes in January. And that's a pretty quick turnaround for, you know, something that is a form of media. Wow. So I want to kind of get into the sort of social element of this, meaning the reading the Bible in general is sort of countercultural. Not really, meaning like the vast majority, like the majority of humans are like reading the Bible, right? But but from a cultural standpoint or sort of from like the high places of culture, to borrow something, you know, a phrase from the Bible, on the high places sort of reading the Bible is sort of countercultural. But even once you kind of strip that away, the genre of biblical writing kind of varies from popular to more esoteric, right? So stories are kind of like universal. Even if you've never read the Bible, I can sell you on the Joseph narrative, right? It's a really good story, right? Like if you've never encountered the Bible in your life, I can sell you on David. You can make an Oscar-winning movie out of that, right? Yeah. But poetry is something that I feel like if it were the 50s or 60s, right, or sort of like the heyday of poetry as a, as a popular medium, Right. So reading the Psalms, reading Proverbs, reading Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, uh, or even parts of the prophetic literature, or parts of the Pentateuch. Right. Like you could make the case. Right. But nowadays, like nobody's reading Auden or Samuel Taylor Coleridge or Lord Byron. So what is it like introducing poetry to people who are just aren't used to reading poetry at all? So two interesting things regarding that as far as it pertains to the Bible recap, we read chronologically through, and I know there are various viewpoints on how the Bible should be laid out chronologically, but what we do is we don't just dive into the Psalms in a chunk. We dive into the Psalms 
as they were written. So they correspond to those stories. So you read the story of David and the atrocities, you know, against Uriah and Bathsheba. And then you go read the Psalm of Repentance he wrote when Nathan the prophet confronted him. And so you see how the poetry fits into the story, which is helpful for people who have the, who are bent more towards story, the people who are more driven toward narrative. However, what I have found in my own life and then in the bulk of Christians' lives is that we are far more interested in ourselves than we are in other people's stories. And so we like to go to the Psalms that feel at home in our heart and in the circumstances we're currently in. So I find that a lot of people have read the Psalms and Proverbs and not much else. Within Christianity, there's this very, it's very interesting. They want to like, because Proverbs is kind of this like application point, like here's how you go and you live a good, wise life. And Christians love that stuff, man, because we love to try to earn our own righteousness, um, which is the exact opposite of what Jesus Jesus is like. Hey, that's not possible. <laughs> you can't you can't do it. That's why I'm necessary. But Christians love to sort of like, how can I check all the boxes and be a good Christian? And so we love to read the application points. I, I said that in a way that sounds like that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a bad thing when it's isolated in its own box and not in the greater context of scripture, and when it's used as a form of achieving our own righteousness. So I think it's the viewpoint. It's more of the viewpoint being the problem than the desire to live a righteous life. That's a good desire. As far as the Psalms are concerned, I mean, I remember, you know, anytime a guy would break up with me, I was just in Psalm 34, like, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That's me, God. You know, it's just like, I want to go and find the, the poetry that speaks to me, the song that speaks to me. Just like we do with music on Spotify, you know, or on the radio. We want something that resonates with what we're going through. And so I find that a lot of Christians know a lot more from the Psalms and the Proverbs than they do from Kings or Chronicles, especially. But, you know, those are those are things that I've noticed in Christendom anyway. It may vary with other people or with other Christians, but that's been my my experience in my small little world. So from a technique standpoint. You've now been through the Bible, kind of through this cycle now several times. I'm on my 15th trip through, not with the Bible recap, but just personally. Right. Yeah. So you've been through this cycle now a couple times. What do you do differently on your fifth reading, your 10th reading, your 15th reading than you were doing on your first reading? So my first reading, it's interesting that you asked that. I love that you asked that. My first reading, I'll be honest, I um, I didn't like God when I finished. Like I literally, I finished the Bible and I went to the pastor who challenged me to read through the whole thing. And I was like, I know it's true. I just don't like him. And um, he was like, uh, okay, Tara Lee, we've got, we've got, got a problem. You're in full-time ministry. And I was like, I know, I guess I guess I need to go be a barista or something. Cause I can't, I can't fake it. I mean, you read Job, Lamentations, like that is a conclusion that you can right. come to. <laughs> for sure. For sure. But he said, read it again. And this time, Stop looking for yourself. Look for God. Stop looking for your application points. Stop looking for the promises that you're trying to snatch out of context and back God in a corner to get him to do what you want him to do. Look for his character. What does he love? What does he hate? What motivates him to do what he does? What names of God do you see? What attributes of God do you see? So my second trip through scripture was a lot of me underlining or circling. There was an action verb that God did. I'm like circling it. Okay, these are the, the actions that God is taking. If I find anything that reveals a motive to me, I'm kind of making a note in the margins. I'm using like hashtags in my Bible where I'm like, oh, hashtag sovereignty, hashtag, you know, faithfulness or whatever. And I'm just, I'm trying to really piece it together. So the second time through, everything was different. Everything, I just read the same book as I 
finished and didn't like him. And this time I'm in love with him. Like it was just this whole different thing to read it to look for God. And so as I continue to read, sometimes I will make a theme of like, here's the thing I'm, I'm trying to dive into this year. So last year, I was writing a Bible study about the Trinity. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so I'm looking all, especially in the Old Testament, where a lot of that stuff is sort of foreshadowing. I'm looking all for the Trinity every time I go through and just trying to make myself attuned to different nuances that I might not have previously noticed. So, you know, I remember one time going through and looking and sort of trying to understand the role of women and um, what scripture teaches about women. And so I just sort of try to pick a new lens to view things through every time I read. And also God will surprise me. He'll he'll be like, remember three years ago when you were looking for this information and you didn't even see this thing that I'm revealing to you now? Like, you know, scripture, living and active, always possible that I can learn new things when I dive into the word. And I usually do. It's such a good lesson for how to approach learning in general. I mean, one thing that actually has kind of struck me is, as I've been listening to your podcast in general, is, you know, so obviously, you know, Jews and Christians make very different assumptions about how the Bible works, how to interpret it, and so on and so forth. But one thing, but most of those differences are kind of like substantive. But at a procedural level, there's also a difference, which is that generally, the community that I grew up in, we're reading scripture in Hebrew, right? Whereas, whereas in the podcast, you're reading it in English. And one thing that I've always wondered about is if, you, you know, if you're reading the Bible in English, do you, do you ever feel like, man, I wonder what the, I wonder what this word is in Hebrew or like, I wonder what the Hebrew says. Do you know what I mean? Like, is that a thing? I'm, I'm asking this like out of total ignorance. You know what I mean? All the time. Literally. No, no, that's a, that's a great question. And I wish I knew Hebrew so, so much. <laughs> I tried to teach myself during the pandemic. I was watching these videos on YouTube and I realized that I need to learn how to speak it and hear it before I learn how to read it and write it because different fonts. Like I'll spend all so much time learning how to write Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalit, Hey, like I'm like trying to learn, like I know what I know how to say it. I don't know what it looks like. And then I learn what it looks like. And then it's in a different font and I don't recognize it anymore. So here's what people like me have to do. People who don't know Hebrew, thank God for those Greek and Hebrew lexicons that I can go and sort of look up the original word and see the other places that it's used in scripture. And then I have, you know, several Jewish friends that I'll be like, oh, help me. What is this? How do you pronounce this? And, and what does this mean? And what does this mean in your community? And just really try to use the resources that are available to me in this crazy world we live in where I can find this stuff online and do a word study on you know, like earlier when you were talking about the leaven and unleavened bread, I wrote down like artos and azimos. Like, is that, am I even saying that right? The the leavened and the unleavened versions of the bread? That might be the Greek language. I don't know. Funnily enough, my Greek happens to be pretty good. That's the Greek. <laughs> That's the Greek. Okay. That makes sense because it is from the New, the, the, yeah. the New Testament is where I have absorbed that information. So yeah, just th those things are things I love to dive into and learn about. And I use whatever resources I can grab. But I am very, very curious about it. I love learning about it. Wow, that's amazing. So I want to kind of like take almost like a geopolitical perspective for the moment, because one of the most amazing things about the Bible is how it's both eternal but ever applicable, meaning something that's unchanging is sort of limited in, in how important and useful it can be because it's just something that never changes can't apply in every generation. But something that is always changing just has kind of no 
foundation to it. So the Bible right. is this incredible thing that is both kind of eternal and and ever and ever the same and yet always applicable. It's just this wonderful mystery. But so you can't help thinking about how these values apply to the kinds of things we're going through now. And so I was just thinking about this recently. Take the rise of China as a new great power in the post-Soviet era, resurgence of kind of like Russian imperial ambitions, which is in the news. We seem to be at this point, like for the first time since like the fall of communism, where like the great societal and political questions of the day revolve less around like this or that policy or this or that preference, but around like much more fundamental questions, like what sort of political order is best, right? That's so retro, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, like that seems like an 80s movie, right? But like authoritarianism, democracy, liberal democracy, so something else. Now, the reason I mention it is because probably the greatest resource in the history of civilization for thinking about political order is the Bible. I mean, you just got through the book of Judges, like the vast majority like the vast majority of the Bible is about that very topic, from judges to prophetic leadership in Samuel, the monarchy, the failure of monarchy, the possible restoration of monarchy. What would that look like? So it's one thing to kind of talk to specialists about this who think about this all the time. But as someone who's just a lay person, right, or not just a lay person, but who's coming at, there's no such thing as just a lay person. But if you're coming at this from the perspective, from a lay perspective, like for myself, I find like you're reading the Bible, you find yourself forced to confront questions that you don't typically think about, whether it's like economics or something, right? So when you're reading through all the political books of the Bible, what are the lessons you take away for how to think about political order? Do you know what I mean? Ooh, oh my goodness. You know, like a small question. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't worry, guys, gonna solve it all. Um, <laughs> By the way, like that's, that's an answer. <laughs> like, I know. I think it's so interesting. When I think of the commands that God gives to the kings of Israel, which are, you know, don't get too swept up with power, don't get too swept up with women, don't get too swept up with money, like those things are going to be a problem. Don't we see that the world over? Don't we see how the accumulation of these things for people in positions of power tends to ruin our hearts, tends to um, pollute the way that we treat those around us? And I mean, we see that even with Israel's greatest king, David, we see what happened with him in that situation. And we see the divided kingdom after Solomon because of you know everything that happened with him. And I think when I see power corrupted like that, when I see it in the world, it reminds me of the truths of scripture and the wisdom that God passed down to his people of how to not fall prey to the corruption that often comes with power. Um, and we see that you know with church leaders as well, not just political leaders. But one of the things that I have always really loved, I see it in scripture and I see it played out in a lot of the the Jewish communities that I'm familiar with, is the strong value for human life. And I think that stands in stark contrast to a lot of what is happening in the world today and with countries in positions of power, is um, a diminished view of life. Wow, that's beautiful. So my last question for you is, I think of your podcast not just as a Bible podcast, a religion, spirituality podcast. It's really a podcast about pedagogy, right? It's a podcast about how to learn, how to study, how to make a project of something. So if you're somebody who's like, look, you know, the Bible's not my thing, or I'm already reading the Bible, right? I would almost recommend your podcast, like your podcast, and not to to trivialize it, but in the best possible way, it's almost like a time management podcast. Like, here's how you make effective use (laughs) Right. Like here's an amazing real life example of how to make beautiful and effective use of your time, Uh, like how to do something ennobling on a regular basis. So if you're talking to somebody, whether it's the Bible or anything, 
And they have never undertaken a regular practice like this before. And they want to make something regular. They want to implant something regular into their lives. What's the advice that you give somebody who's going to start on a journey like this? Oh, wow. First of all, I've never, no one's ever summarized the Bible recap like that. And it makes me so happy. I love that. Um, yeah, that was very original and very appreciated. <laughs> I think, you know, the, the, one of the things that I tell specifically women when I speak, it's, you know, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of moms and I don't know how prominent it is in other, other religions or other faith practices, but in Christianity, perfectionism is this, it's a problem. It's a problem because I think perfectionism keeps us from good things and keeps good things from us. It's alienating. It's isolating. It's shame-inducing. I think it's a lie and a trap. And so the first thing I would tell people is you're going to do this imperfectly. Don't let that stop you. Don't let what you don't know of God keep you from what you can know about God. Don't let the things that you have failed at keep you from succeeding at digging in one more day. And so I would just tell people, stick with it. Stick with it. When you don't understand things, embrace uncertainty. When you when you see your Bible across the room and you know that you you should go read it, uh, but you don't want to, but you want to want to, like lean into the want to want to. That's how you get to the want to. You're not ever going to fall in love with something by never engaging with it. And so keep at it. When you fail it, when you don't understand it, when it is confusing, keep at it. Oh, I love lean into the want to want to. I love that. That's so fantastic. Wow. Amen. Tara Lee Cobble. The podcast is The Bible Recap. She is Tara Lee Cobble. Amazing. Tara, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. This has been so much fun. That last point is really everything. I mean, when all is said and done, whatever you're striving for, whether it's something as mundane as finishing a task you set for yourself or something as sublime as reading the Bible, it's all about finding the want to want to. Because at the end of the day, if postmodernism, rightly understood, has taught us anything, it's that the wigs of history are generally wrong. History is not progressing inevitably and inexorably in a positive direction all the time. There's going to be failure along the way. There's going to be distraction. There's going to be heartbreak. There are going to be a million reasons not to do the things we should. And that's okay. It's human nature. There's nothing bad about encountering those moments. After all, the real question is how we respond to those moments. Because I'm going to tell you, for every day that we want to do the right thing, there will be five days when we don't want to. So for those days when we don't want to, can we get ourselves, can we put ourselves beforehand in the kinds of habits and routines that always help us remember that we want to want to? Because if we can get there, then we'll certainly, then, you know, while we'll certainly still experience moments of failure or burnout, they won't define us. What will define us is that sense of quiet, determined, diligent striving that's necessary, absolutely necessary to living a good and virtuous life. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the pod, then go ahead, be awesome. Head into Apple Podcasts or iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts and give us a rating, five stars only, because it really helps people find the show. Anyway, this is Ari Lam making a good faith effort. I'll see you next time. Good Faith Effort was created and written by Ari Lam. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice because it really helps others find the show. Our executive producer is Josh Cross. 
The show is produced and edited by Galad Brownstein. This is a Soul Shop podcast presented by B'nai Zion. Follow us on Twitter at GFaithEffort. Follow Ari at Ari Lamb and sign up for our email list at soulshopstudios.com slash goodfaitheffort. For more information about Soul Shop, follow Soul Shop on Twitter at Soul Shop Studios and on Instagram at soulshop underscore studios. And check out soulshopstudios.com. Soul Shop Studios.